We are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, first 11 verses. Last week we covered the last part of chapter 4, talked a little bit about the rapture, and we'll continue with a very similar theme tonight. So we'll begin with verses 1 through 3, but thank you for being here. All right, let's begin with verse 1 through 3. Now notice the very first word is but. The, our current Bible puts chapters and verses in, but when it was written originally, it did not have all of those breaks. So that's why you can have a chapter begin with the word but. And it is in relationship to the last chapter. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves know. So they already knew. Paul had been talking to them, right? Uh, now, we know that he didn't spend a whole lot of weeks with them, but obviously he thought that uh, the return of the Lord was an important topic. And if it was important back then, it's certainly important now, right? A couple thousand years later and a couple thousand years closer, to the return of the Lord. It could be while we're here tonight. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Look at all, look at these descriptions here. He's describing the return of the Lord, the day of the Lord. Now, uh, the day of the Lord is not just referring to the rapture, but the day of the Lord many times throughout Scripture also refers to uh, the time of judgment because it starts immediately uh, after the church goes up, okay? So the, the day of the Lord is not just referring to the rapture, but it is inclusive of that, okay? So you know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, look, another descriptive term, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So Paul is, with two different phrases, is describing the day or the coming day of the Lord. And the first one is thief in the night. Now, have you ever had a thief call you up and give you his schedule, his plan? No. So it says the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. So unexpectedly, quickly, at least for those who don't know the Lord. So what is the thought behind saying it's like a thief in the night? So has anybody ever had your house broken in? I knew my mom had. It's not fun. If you've ever had your house broken in, you're more likely to be prepared for the next time. You may put some precautions in place. And I'm not saying that about the return of the Lord because as Christians, we should know that the Lord could come at any moment. So we should be in a constant state of what? 
readiness, preparedness, right? Uh, because the Lord could come at any time. While we might not know the day or the hour, it doesn't tell us that we don't know the season or the times. Because those words are different than day and hour. It says concerning the times and the seasons, you don't need for me to write to you. Why? Because he's taught them already. Another place in the Bible, Jesus addresses that they can know the times and the seasons by what? By looking at the weather, the sky, the sun, all of that, right? When the sky is red at night, when do we anticipate the next day? Good weather. But when it's red in the morning, what do we expect the next day? Or that day, maybe? Right? So it's a warning, right? So Jesus is telling his disciples that you already recognize some of the natural seasons and some of the natural signs so that as Christians, we shouldn't be totally caught unaware. You know, we won't be able to pinpoint. How many remember 1984? I think there was a book. It might not have been, might have been a different year, but there was in 1985. But there was somebody come out with a book and said 85 reasons or 84 reasons why the Lord's going to come in 1984 or 1985. You remember that? And guess what? He was wrong. And then I think a few years later, they, the same person come out with another book by another reason why the Lord's going to come back. We cannot pinpoint the day nor the hour. But we can know, how many believe we're in the last days, right? We can know that. We live in prophetic times and can discern seasons of our present culture. I didn't know I was going to go here, but in Matthew 24 gives us signs of the ends of time. Anybody, you can flip there if you want to. Uh, I don't have mine open, but what are some of the signs? As in the days of Noah, wars and rumors of wars, nations against nations, all those kinds of things. So we're seeing that. So while we may not know the exact day or the exact hour, we can know that we're in the approaching season. We can know that fall is here. Because today is cold, right? Wouldn't be surprised if, you know, it got even colder because we're in that season. Uh, I, I just want to want to point that out. Jesus was actually criticizing the religious leaders because they couldn't discern the signs of the times. That's in Matthew chapter 16. talks about that. Uh, so we need to be aware. I think that's a key word. Be aware. Be looking. The day of the Lord is in God's timing. Uh, and it will be fulfilled with Jesus judging the earth and returning in glory. So, talked last week about the rapture. And this week we're kind of heading and talking about the day of the Lord, which includes the judgment of God on earth.
but we don't plan to be here, right? So why should we study this? To let others know. To talk to others. Yes. Some anticipation, right? Encouragement. Continue serving the Lord. He's going to come as a thief in the night. Uh, he's not going to announce his exact time of arrival, but we can know and be aware of the season that we're in. Not set dates. As soon as you set a date, you're going to be wrong. We talked about in those first three verses. So a thief in the night or as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. Now, I've never been pregnant. Surprise, surprise. But I've had a wife that was, right? So how is the labor pains of a woman significant? It comes quickly and they increase as you get closer, right? They do come suddenly and without sometimes warning. Uh, I remember when mom was pregnant with Jana, because I was old enough to remember because I was almost 12. Not quite, but almost 12. We're sitting at the table, because we always had dinner as a family. We're sitting at the table, sitting there eating, wasn't even done. Mom looks at dad and says, I think it's time. He's like, huh? <laughs> so uh, it can come quickly, right? Uh, so these two are important for us to understand, and they give us a picture of how the return of the Lord, but also the season of his judgment, which is quickly at hand. Let's read verses 4 and 5. So I've been leading to this. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. You're not in darkness. So that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So why shouldn't it be a surprise? Why won't it be a surprise to us? Why wasn't it According to Paul, going to be a surprise to the Thessalonians. They're not in the darkness. We kept my little granddaughter overnight last night. And she started crying in the middle of the night because she wanted a ball. I tried to not turn the light on. But I just couldn't see good enough. Right? So, in order to not pick her up by her ankles instead of by her shoulders, I had to turn on a light. But I didn't turn on a light in the room. I turned the light on in the hallway so I could go in there and pick her up and take care of her, right? But I, the point is, I could see because I wasn't then in the darkness. And you and I are not in the darkness when it comes to revelation from the Lord. Do you have a quickening of your spirit that says to you, we're getting closer. You know what I'm saying? And can we understand some of the times and seasons of the Lord? Absolutely. I, many times when I'm preparing to preach a sermon, uh, matter of fact, I, I just went back and looked at some, some sermons uh, of the past because I feel that we're heading into a new season and there were other times that we're heading into a new season so I was looking at that. And there is an awakening of 
our spirit man that tells us that something is changing. Uh, now, I'm not trying to be ethereal here or anything like that. I'm trying to say that the spirit of God inside of us can teach us and show us those kinds of things. Not the, not the very day, not the very hour, but he can give us signs, right, of, the, of that happening. So you're not in darkness. You're sons of the light, not of the night. The Bible says that God is light. There's only a couple of things that it says God is. God is love. God is light. There's two things I know for sure that the Bible says. So if he's light and a part of the Trinity is inside of us because the Holy Spirit comes lives in, in us whenever we're saved, then we should be sons or daughters of the light. And in the light, you get sight, right? You have vision. You have understanding. In cartoons, when somebody gets it, they have, you know what I'm saying, when they get it, when they understand, there's a little light bulb that goes off, right? You remember, you, you seen those little cartoons where the, there's a light bulb that's shining? It means there is comprehension, understanding of something. So it's not going to happen to you as a thief in the night. It will to others who don't know the Lord. So that this day should overtake you as a thief. So you are all sons of the, of the light and sons of the day. And we are not of night nor of darkness. So in some respect, the coming of Jesus will be a surprise for everybody. But yet it will not be a complete surprise to us. Just read verses 6 through 8. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So, does that mean that we shouldn't physically sleep? We know what that means, right? So what is it? What is sleep? What is he referring to when he says, don't sleep? You're unaware when you're asleep, so he's saying to be aware. So we're not to sleep, which means to stay awake spiritually, especially, is what this is talking about. Uh, to stay awake, be active, be aware, watch, and be sober. That mean we're not supposed to get drunk. Not really, but it's a good word picture, right? Because what happens when you are in control of, I'm going to say it this way, spirits. When the spirits are in control of you. You know, that's what they call alcohol sometimes, spirits, right? So when it's in control, we're not, right? <laughs> but watch and be sober. Make sure that you understand what you're doing and of your surroundings. 
Because unsober people don't really always recognize their surroundings. Bill and I were joking the other day when we were heading to a golf game. I don't know if he remembers this or not, but uh, him and I were both in agreement that if we ever got pulled over and they gave us a sobriety test, that neither one of us would be able to pass it, even if we weren't, even when we were not drunk, right? Because uh, I don't have that kind of balance since they've done that surgery on my foot. Probably trying to take me to jail. I'd be saying, "Give me a breathalyzer." I don't. But you see, drunk people are out of control. Can't do the normal things that they should be doing. So when we're sober, then we're able to be aware, alert. We're able to take in information, process it and be aware of what's going on around us. Be sober. I start to say be vigilant because there is a verse that says be vigilant and be sober. So sleep refers to ignorance. So don't be ignorant of the times and the seasons. Sleep can refer to insensibility. Alcohol makes you not feel things. Intoxication makes you Unaware, you could have broken something and not be aware of it if you're fully intoxicated. Sleep speaks of insensibility, of inactivity. So have a sober mind that understands the value of things. A lot of times when people get uh, become unsober. They do all kinds of crazy stuff, like buy all kinds of stuff that they just have to have. QVC's best friend. All of this is speaking to us from a spiritual standpoint, obviously, right? It's telling us to be alert, be aware. So it says don't sleep. So how can you keep from sleeping spiritually? Read your Bible. Be in fellowship with the saints, coming to church because the Bible tells us not to fail to assemble, right? Is there any others? So self-control is a part of that. Okay? Prayer. Be aware not only of the, our surroundings, but where we are. And don't go places that we shouldn't. That, that's important. It really is. Many times we list the things that we shouldn't do, but we fail to list the things that we should be doing. I, I need an alarm clock now, but when I was getting up every day at the same time and going into a, a, a regular, you know, more like 7.30 to 4.30 or something, but I didn't need an alarm because I was consistent. That's one thing that you'll see that a person who is not sober will not be consistent. A person who, uh, you know, who is asleep uh, will not be consistent to, to do those things. I preached a sermon one time. I don't know if it, this was when I first started. I, I'm not even sure I was pastoring then. I think I was. But I set an alarm clock up on, over, over here. I started preaching and I preached 
and, and I purposely had it set to go off, you know, at a certain time that I knew it would just be a few minutes into my sermon. And then when it went off, I went over and I hit the snooze. I didn't hit the stop button. I hit the snooze. And then I would preach. And nine minutes later, and I preached a lot longer back then too anyway. But nine minutes later, it went off again. Why? Because it was set on snooze, right? Which is different than being alert and alarmed and ready to go into action. There's a state of our spirit man that we need to stay not in snooze, but in awakeness, right? Ready. That doesn't mean there won't be things that alarm us. Have you ever been surprised by some of the happenings in the world? I haven't. I mean, I'll just be honest with you. I was not prepared for COVID and 2020 and all that. I don't know if any of us were when it first hit. None of us were ready for 9 11. That shocked me. I mean, here can remember exactly where you were and what you were doing when that happened. Yeah, everybody. Every, every hand almost in here is going up. Because there are things, and honestly, I believe that was a physical alarm, but also a spiritual awakening, if you took it as that. And the same thing with 2020 and COVID and all that. It's interesting as we look at that. So, notice it says to put on, not only don't sleep, but be sober, but we're to put on some things. What are they? Armor, something that a soldier would wear, and it's the what? Breastplate, which is represented by faith and love, right? So those are important things in the Christian life. I mean, goodness, our relationship with the Lord is all about faith and love. Now notice, this is not the same as what Kay taught a few couple months ago, right? Has it been a couple months now? More than a couple months. Okay. It's not the armor of God, but it's some essential things. Paul's giving us an example. He's giving us an illustration. He's saying uh, to put on the breastplate, which he says is faith and love. What does a breastplate cover? Heart for sure. Vital organs, right? Your lungs, yeah, that's part of it. So a soldier in those times would not go into battle without that, right? It was key. It was important because if he suffered a strike to the heart or to the lungs or some other vital organs that may have been covered because the breastplate didn't just cover the breast, it covered the whole, whole front from essentially the neckline to the waist. So all those essential vital organs. Don't just not go to sleep, but put on some things like faith and love. The breastplate there. And then one other item. A helmet. A helmet of the hope of salvation. Right? So what does the helmet cover? The brain? The, the eye? You know, the Sometimes they did have the visors on their helmets and different things. So it was important. 
to keep your mind intact. Where does the devil attack most of the time? Our mind. Isn't that so true? Even when we feel the attack in our body, say our, we have a sickness. I mean, that's, it's real, right? It's, it's real. It's in our body. We have a sickness. But a sickness rarely comes without some kind of a mental attack as well, if it's coming from the enemy. When you get sick and you feel bad, you don't just feel bad in the area <coughs> that you're sick in. You also feel down and out sometimes, don't you? Sometimes the devil says things like, I got you now. Maybe not y'all, because y'all much more spiritual than me, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, doesn't, doesn't that happen? He attacks our mind. So we have to put on the helmet of, it doesn't say the helmet of salvation, it says the helmet of the hope of salvation. Hope is very important. Extremely important. See, without hope, we give up. Without hope, we feel desperate and we feel like there is no future. Right? Hope is very important. Did you know that the base root word for hope is rope? The word rope. Rope. I looked that up one time and I preached a sermon on it. And I had somebody help me build a well. A well. And I had somebody get down inside of it. And I didn't let y'all know that they were inside of it. And I put that rope over in there. And then I talked for a little bit. Do you remember the story about the baby that fell down the well? So I talked a little bit about that. Because Everybody came out of, I mean, I'm talking about they had the news out there. Everybody's trying to dig. Everybody's trying to get to this baby. Baby Jessica, right? Uh, so that there was hope that if we can get to her in time, right? And then I started preaching and I was pulling on that rope. And then the more I pulled on that rope, the more that person began to come up out of the well. What does that do? I mean, that visual there tells us that, you know, we've got to hold on to something, right? Uh, and many times, all we have is hope. Many times, all we have is hope. But it's hope founded on something, right? Now, the world will say things like, I hope I win the lottery. I'd like to win the lottery, but it's really doubtful because I don't play it. But see, that hope is not founded or based on anything, but our hope of salvation is. Our hope is, of salvation is based on the work of Jesus Christ. He's already done it. And we have hope in this life and hope that will carry us into the next. And sometimes all we have to do, like a rope, is just keep holding on. Give you doubt. Make you, make you lose hope, lose, let go of what you know in your mind. Hope is a mental thing, right? Because we don't always see the answer before it comes, do we? 
hope is, uh, a, isn't just a sense of wishful thinking, but it is a confident expectation of God's hand at work in the future. That's so good. I'm going to read it again. Hope isn't just a sense of wishful thinking, but is a confidence, a confident expectation of God's hand in the future. Have you had God sometimes bless you beyond what you even hoped for? Yes. Sure. Absolutely. Because he loves his children. Have we at times blessed our children beyond what they even hoped for? Sure. I think many times we have. All right. Let's go to verse 9 and 10. We're only going through, I think, verse 11. Yeah, verse 11. Now, this is important. Remember this chapter 4, the end of chapter 4, is a whole lot there about the rapture. <laughs> there is a whole lot about that. Now, this chapter is talking about this combination of the day of the Lord, which is the kickoff for that is the rapture of the church, and then the judgment of God begins to come. So put that in light. Now verse 9, it says, For God did not appoint us to what? To wrath. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. That whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. So, another one of those verses that I believe confirms that we will not go through the tribulation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Did you know that you are saved and you are being saved? You're saved and you're being saved. You're saved in relationship with the Lord, right? He says, I appointed the righteousness of Christ unto you. So by what he has given to us, we're saved. Yet the fulfillment of the total salvation does not happen until we are in heaven. So we are saved and being saved. I'm not trying to rock your theological world in saying that. Yes, the Holy Spirit, good. Holy Spirit is our down payment for that, right? It shows its proof. It's given to us that we have been purchased by the Lord, okay? So we are saved and yet still being saved. We haven't, we haven't made it to heaven yet. The fulfillment of that. Because you won't receive everything on this side of heaven that pertains to your salvation. Not everything. You'll still have a relationship with the Lord. You'll have the Holy Spirit. God can still do miracles, all those kinds of things. But there's certain things you won't experience until you get there. That fullness of the presence of God. Oh, we have some great presence of the Lord in our services and when we worship the Lord and when we have our special one-on-one one -on -one prayer time, all those kinds of things. But imagine never leaving the presence. 
of God. We even experience God so good to us. I'm going to say this, and I think most of you will know what I'm saying, but we even experience some, some services here that if we're truthful, we don't really want to quite leave at the time that we're dismissed. Because we feel that presence and power and glory of God. And we're just kind of basking in that. People, you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a part of Asbury. Yeah, that's a part of many times that happens during seasons of revival. That people don't want to leave. And they didn't leave Asbury. I mean, they stayed overnight and all kinds of things. You know, weeks there. So, so God did not appoint us to wrath. We have the hope of obtaining salvation when we look at this. So he didn't appoint us to wrath. Well, people would say, well, I've experienced wrath. Not God's wrath. You've experienced probably man's wrath. You ever had somebody get mad at you? I have. Um, I definitely have had people get mad at me. Uh, not and I wasn't purposefully trying to make them mad at me sometimes, and sometimes I was. But you know, let's just be truthful, right? But I haven't experienced the wrath of God because why? I'm not appointed to it. I'm his child. We are his bride. Now I don't know everything there is to know about a Jewish wedding ceremony but I can promise you this the, the husband doesn't come and beat up his bride before the wedding day that doesn't happen right so here it's saying we're not appointed to wrath I just want to encourage you okay uh, do we know what we will go through we don't we don't know all of what we'll go through but we won't experience the Lord's wrath the human race is appointed to wrath, but uh, those of us who are his children are not. How do we know what's the proof? So I just said that the human race is appointed to wrath, but we're not. What happened to cause that? He poured out his wrath on Jesus on the cross. Christ died for us. Verse 10, right? This past week, uh, well, next week I was supposed to have an appointment with my specialist. And uh, I can't do that because I'm going to be out of town. So I had to call and cancel the appointment. Otherwise, they're still going to charge me. Right? But Christ canceled our appointment with wrath. That's what happened. And we do not have to reschedule. That's awesome. Uh, so, we, we never have to go to that appointment, right? Where he died for us. He died in our place. So God's judgment, God's justice was fully met because Christ took our place. He went to the appointment. And we didn't have to. Man, I wish I could send somebody else to my appointments sometimes. 
God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Verse 11. I love the way Paul wraps up these chapters with the same phrase, pretty much. So we're supposed to comfort one another, verse chapter 4, with the thought and the knowledge that the Lord's coming for his church, right? Raptured. Now, he's saying, you're not going to have to go through the wrath of God. And it's the same phrase, pretty much. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. So, obviously, the Thessalonians, Paul is happy with them. He's saying, you're already doing this, but just continue to abound it. So, here's the comfort. The Lord's coming. He's going to take us away. And we're not appointed to wrath. But Christ has canceled the appointment. And that is your comfort. And that is your edification. Isn't that what it says? Edify one another. What does that mean? Build up. Yeah. If you're down and out today, and you don't understand what's going on, or you're sick in your body, or whatever, I've got good news for you, right? Comfort one another with these words. Edify. Lift up. Build up one another, uh, because the Lord has made a way for us. We ready to go through the questions? Question number one, verse two. Why didn't the Thessalonians need Paul to write to them about the times and the seasons? We had already taught them. They already knew. According to verse two again, how did Paul describe the coming of the day of the Lord? As a thief in the night. According to verse 3, how else did Paul describe the coming day of the Lord? A woman in labor pains, right? Pregnant woman. Question 4, according to verse 4, why won't the day of the Lord overtake the Thessalonian believers as a thief? Because they're not in darkness, they were in light. Question 5, just fill in the blank from Verse 6, therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. How is the watchful believer outfitted according to verse 8? Breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. Fill in the blank from verse 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Question 8, verse 10. How did Jesus cancel our appointment to wrath? He died for us. And then, according to verse 11, what did Paul exhort the Thessalonians to continue doing? Comforting and edifying one another. 